Welcome to A Guide to Nothing, the podcast that explores all the shit people face in their 20s. My name's Caitlin. And my name's Liam. And today, we're going to be talking to you all about nothing. Hey guys, and welcome back to A Guide to Nothing. Yeah, welcome back, guys. So, another whole week has passed since our last episode. Um, so, you've been up to anything exciting in the last week or so? Uh, not really, hey. Like, lockdown life Pretty hasn't boring. changed too much. <laughs> um, have we done anything? I'm trying to think. Anything that was... We finished the backyard. Oh, yeah. Well, we finished all the stones that we were whinging about last week. Yeah. Still got some decking and stuff to do, but that part has been... Successfully yeah. completed. Yeah. Successful. successful. <laughs> a little bit crooked. It's bowing a little bit, but it looks beautiful from far away. Just don't look too close. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Looks um, good from our place. Yeah. <laughs> so, we've done that. We got a new chair for our upstairs, sort of like mini living room, um, which I'm loving. Few people reckon it looks like a nursing chair, and not gonna lie, it is a nursing chair. But I'm just it's nursing still, myself through it's lockdown, comfy. so I'm enjoying it. <laughs> um, nothing else really, is there? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much about it. So, since nothing's happening, let's just get straight into this week's. Or should we fess up about Huey? Yeah, I think he's got a odd fascination <laughs> a with, with our couches. So, so he's um. Pretty much as of like oh like last late last week he's officially six months old, um and apparently his hormones have kicked in, <laughs> and yeah. he's humping the couch <laughs> every second minute. He loves the couch. I just like goes nuts, like actually nuts. Just humps it again and again and again and again and again. Yeah, hopefully he gets he gets out of that one pretty. Yeah, and he's trying to hump quickly. you a couple times as well. Not yeah. me, thankfully. <laughs> so I think we got ourselves a. You know, a little boy-liking boy, which is totally open to that. You're not. <laughs> you don't want to be the subject of that attention. <laughs> um, so I took him to the dog park a couple of times, and I'm fairly certain he sexually assaulted quite a few dogs. <laughs> um, even, like, jumping on another dog's head at one point, and I just felt so embarrassed. Luckily, the other lady was all right, but he was just humping his head so bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, look, not that interesting. I think it's funny as hell. Um that's probably you the most... You had to that's be ha- there, did you? Yeah, I, but I think that is like One the most moments. noteworthy thing that's happened in our week, which says a lot. Yeah, I think it sums it up quite nicely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to when times are better and we actually have some good yarns yeah. for this segment. Well, the weather was good. What about that one? Oh, yeah. It was actually pretty sunny pretty this week. That's fair. Brilliant day today. We hit the beach one day with Huey. That was really good. And if we're going to fess up, Huey did a turn on the beach and we didn't have dog bags, so we did a little kick and run. You can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and we couldn't even pick it up anyway. It's practically a milkshake. It was a bit disgusting. I um, see it. it. was like those typical, like you'd imagine, like a Coke slushy machine. That's what it was. Mm. And you left me to deal with that. I didn't see him do it. You did. You said, oh, I'll take him down here to play. You get rid of it. And I was like, okay. And I'm just scuffling around, kicking sand over. You have to look shit. inconspicuous. Oh, well, I was trying. Anyway, um, so we did the beach. That was nice. You we went for a surf, just relax in the water. That was good. I, that's one thing I'm super grateful for at the moment, actually, that we're living so close to the water. I'm feeling for people who, like, are stuck in places where there's not a lot to do within, like, their LGA or within a reasonable radius. Um, so we are pretty lucky that we've got that, despite lockdown, I reckon. Yeah. Just going to make the most. Yeah. So I think let's go straight into today's episode. Um, what do you got for us? Today, what have I got? So we're gonna. And this was actually your idea, so I'm gonna. It was. Let you, I'm I will take the credit this. for this one. Yeah. It wasn't much to it. I came up with it in a couple of couple of seconds. On the fly while uh, watching the block. Yeah. So. And to be fair, for you, and this is not meant to sound demeaning, but for you, 
really good idea. Like, oh. as in complex <laughs> and interesting, you know? I don't know. Now we'll, I just we'll sound see, like we'll, I'm attacking you, but... That's all right. It's not the first time. We'll, um, <laughs> we'll see how it goes anyway. So, I reckon let's talk about, I don't know how many, maybe top two or three books that we that we like. It doesn't have to be in any order, or it doesn't have to be like the best books of all time, but just some books that, you know, we've enjoyed over the years, and that we think, you know, could be relevant to your 20s. Sounds good. Or not relevant. Or, or not. But yeah. I think it doesn't have to necessarily be talking about someone in their 20s. Like, I think books just have, like... Everyone can relate Some to pretty it. invaluable lessons, yeah, yeah, that you can, like, pick up on and you can apply it. And I'm a firm believer that, like, you can reread a book at different stages in your life and you'll pick up on totally different meanings each time, like, because you'll see something different in it because you're coming to the book with a different set of eyes. See, I'm not a person to reread a book. I don't think I've ever... I don't think I've ever read one twice I've only read one book twice and I'm so glad I did because I didn't enjoy it the first time and the second time well it's ended up in my top three there you go so maybe you should reread a book (laughs) (laughs) it's just tongue twister eh? yeah Um, for those who don't know how to read Liam yeah for those who don't know Liam actually um, is illiterate yeah so, so um, it's when, when, he, when he wants to read a book, we actually sit down um, and he has his favorite soft blankie and a bottle and I open the book and I read it to him in bed. Huey's actually a better reader than me. <laughs> we sound like some weird ass people. I give Liam a bottle You and made it sound weird. <laughs> no, Liam can read. All right. So uh, let's go with one from your top three then. So it's uh, not like your favorite, is it? It's just like straight. some that are in yeah. the top three. Yeah. It doesn't have to be my favorite. It's just some that I picked off, picked off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll start with um, Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne. I read this one a couple of years ago, I think. Um, That's a Penguin edition too. I love Penguin edition books. Yeah. I like that they're all like similar. Similar in look, yeah. Quite aesthetic. Orange, top and bottom. Mm. Yeah. So Nothing better than picking up and sniffing a good book, hey? I, I'm sad I mean, for the day that books depends. cease to exist. <laughs> it depends how much you've spilled on it. But... Like, it just, it's so nice to flick pages and actually sniff a real book, don't you reckon? Yeah, 100%. Like, I can totally understand the convenience of e-books and stuff, because you can't take six books on a plane for 24 hours. Like, you know, it just takes up too much space in your luggage for duty-free alcohol. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I love it. Sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going. Yeah, anyway, back on back on the book. So, I read it a couple of years ago, so I don't remember all the ins and outs, but I do remember it was a book that I really liked. Um and, and that's all I have to say. And that, that, no, that's why it's in the top three. <laughs> so, um, quick a bit about the you know the boy on the back. So, um, this guy pretty much has a bet with his mates that he can travel around the world in eighty days, mm-hmm. and he bets uh, I think it was like twenty thousand pounds or something, um, which is a lot. This was written, I don't know, I think early nineteen hundreds, somewhere around then. Um, the you fact probably like a bit a off. A few centuries off, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's definitely nineteen hundreds. I'm pretty sure. Um, but anyway, it was a lot of money um, at the time. So he tries to go around the world in 80 days. Um, obviously, planes weren't a thing or a mainstream thing back then. Um, so just by traveling by train, you know, ship, sailing boats, um, and even elephants, it's got on the book here. Um, this guy, you know, goes through all these obstacles to eventually do it in, in 80 days. Um, and you can't plot spoil, but I low-key want to know, does he do it? Oh, Alright, so just... spoiler alert, anyone who is interested in reading this book, pause it here. Does he make it around the world in 80 days? I'm going to say yes, but I can't remember for sure. <laughs> you are actually useless. <laughs> I know, but... 
Because I'm like, well, if he goes around the world in 80 days, it proves him right. But then well, I'm like, what the, if the he doesn't make it? The title of the book says around the world in 80 days. So you've got to assume what But then that. I'm like, how meaningful would it be if he didn't make it around the world in 80 days? Say it was like 85 days. So he didn't make the 20,000 pounds. But he's like, I don't need the money because the travel was all of the wealth I'll ever need. That's what I'm thinking, you know? Well, I don't think you wrote the book, so I'm not sure. No. But regardless, it was quite a good book. I think I forgot, forgot all about the book. You know, there's about 20 pages to go. So I didn't get to the end. Um, so that's why you don't know if you made it around the world or not yeah that's what I was trying to say before um, how can you not finish a book with 25 pages to go like do you not get to the end and get like, I don't know something more important must have come up <laughs> I can't like if I get to the like, end of a book and I've got 20 pages I won't move until I finish those 20 pages like I have to just get to the end yeah I don't know it was I definitely didn't finish it I know that was it a good read but like, it was it was good it was um pretty interesting like the way you know, you think everyone gets around by planes these days or by cars, but some of the the transport and some of the challenges you face along the way um, were pretty interesting. And I think, oh, there's my little bookmark. Yeah, I'm looking at your bookmark and you're a lot further off than 25 pages, mate. Your last I told page, you a couple of years ago. Your now. last page was 214 and the novel actually ends at 294. Well, still not, not that far off. But I like the first 214 pages. So We're off to a great start. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm not the um, biggest reader. Super I will, big I will that admit that. Huh? Anything like super big that you remember from it that you thought was like important, influential, apart from that like travel thing? I think in terms of lessons, is that what you mean? Yeah. I, I suppose like the way it was written, like the concept of travel um, is really like inspiring. Um, I know it sounds a bit wordy, but it was like... Um, you know, he's going to all these places around the world and telling all these stories. Even though it was, it's a fictional book, um, it's still real places. Um, and it's like, oh, you know, one day I want to go to this place where he rides an elephant in India. Just or, kind of describes these like contagious experiences that you yeah, used to do. It's just like, yeah. yeah, it's like you it's want like, to go on the journey with him in real life. <laughs> it's like Getaway, the 1900s novel version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just takes a lot more effort than I'm sure an episode of Getaway does. No offense yeah. to the Getaway group. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah it was definitely I, I should finish the book come to think of it um, yeah, and then we'll do a part two so you can actually find out the end yeah um, but yeah that was my first one what about you um, I'll start with the one that I have reread um, so this one is called uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankel um, so it was a book that my English teacher asked me to read in year 12 um, because we were doing um so I was doing extension to English and you had to do like a major work project. Um, and she was kind of like, oh, it's probably good to read. Like it's not anything for the syllabus, but just read it. I think it's got some powerful meaning um, and like see if you can take anything from it for what you're, I guess, making. Um, so I read it. And I think when I read it at the time, I kind of struggled to read through it the first time. I think, not sure if that had anything to do with like the crippling stress of year oh. 12. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I kind of what like I read it, but I didn't really have any sort of profound impact. But then I remembered like it was when it was like two thousand and nineteen, maybe two thousand twenty. I remember finding the copy on my shelf again and remembering my English teacher who said you should reread this again after school and then see if anything in it changes for you. Um, and it's probably not a secret that I really, really disliked and didn't get along with my English teacher. I think the feeling was mutual. Um, but that was one thing I was like, all right, no worries, darling. We'll give it another read. Um, and that's the one thing I think she ever said that was credible <laughs> because, um, 
it was phenomenal the second time around. I think the second time around, I had some more life experience and I was reading it not... Like, I was reading it for recreation, not, like, the stress of, like, studying a book. So, what's it actually about? Because I haven't read it myself. Yeah. So, um, Victor E. Frankel, basically, he was... as I'm trying to remember exactly what his role was, but I'm pretty sure he was a psychiatrist. Yeah. So, he was a professor of neurology and psychiatry. Um, and he was actually... spent three years in Auschwitz. Dachau and other concentration camps across Europe during uh, World War Two. So he writes this book in two parts. Um, the first part is sort of like a um, recount of his experiences of the Holocaust. Um, goes into quite a lot of detail um, about his experience, what he witnessed with other people. Um, and then the second part of his book, he actually, as a psychiatrist, um, writes more of like a a medical analysis of how individuals can survive something like the Holocaust. Um, so I've read the second half of the book only briefly, but I didn't really engage with it as much as the first half. Um, but yeah, so pretty much I just found it so, I think it just really put things into perspective for me. I, I think, I think from memory, I must've been reading it in 2020. Cause I remember thinking, God, like I'm sitting here complaining about how hard, this year is which it is but then reading this book i was like yeah Yeah. i was just like shocked and i think you know what's happened in the holocaust but just reading someone write it in their own words um is something else yeah there's nothing like obviously none of us were there so there's nothing like you know getting a a point of view from someone that was actually there because and you, you hear all the facts about any sort of event in the world but until you speak to someone or listen to someone that's actually been there it's there's nothing like it no that's it and I think um like for me I've always had a really significant fascination with holocaust history um my parents took me to um a holocaust museum when I think I was like 10 or 11 we went to the Jewish museum in Sydney um and when we were there this old man comes up to me and he's like quick quick I need to show you something but don't tell my wife And at first instance, every kid is like, who are you? I need to run away. Um, But then this old man, he lifts up his sleeve and he showed me his um, number tattoo from when he was um, in Auschwitz. And he said, this is, this is my number. Um, I actually was there. And I think for him, he was like, there's there's a a young kid who's interested in this history. Like I'm going to take this opportunity to really like, I guess, bring it home for them or whatever. Did you know like what that all meant then? I I knew. Yeah. Because I remember looking at it and going, oh my gosh like that this man actually was there and I wish I wish I could have gone back and actually asked all these questions but I was obviously too young to really yeah of course take the moment fully but and then his wife comes over and I can't remember I can't remember his name and for the life of me I wish I remember who he was because he was prominent and he'd released a book and he was speaking about his book so I'd love to know and find out and read it if I could but I just never found out who he was and so she walks over and goes so and so are you showing your tattoo to the kids again and got all like, <laughs> mad like there was some bickering couple and then they just started laughing and we just had some small talk and they walked away and I remember running back to mum going mum 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 like you won't believe what I just saw um and so from that moment, my fascination with Holocaust history, like, has been massive. Um, is, is that what? I think that kind of did it for me. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think as a kid, when you go through the Holocaust Museum, they have photos of all the kids. And so being a kid and seeing that, like, I think maybe because I was Makes so young, real. had a big impact yeah. on me. Yeah. Um, so I'm really glad that my parents took me to that. I think some people would disagree and it's like a bit too full on to show young people. But I also think it's really important that they don't grow up like spoon fed and hidden from all of the stuff in the world. But 
Um, yeah, so pretty much like the most important part of this book that I took away is that he continues to come back to this point about he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. Um, and that's a mix of quite a lot of different philosophy, but it's basically saying that, you know, um, if you can find out a reason to live, then you can survive almost any circumstances. And so he talks about in this book how what he noticed was the people who would, you know, commit suicide um, while they were in the concentration camps or the people who died the fastest were people who gave up emotionally and hope. So people who had just assumed they'd never see their loved ones again and let go, those people just faded. And he said, but the people who maintained and held on to that sense of hope and, you know, what they could do when they left and remembering the faces of their loved ones and different things like that, you know. Well, yeah, like obviously I wasn't there, of course. Um, but from what I've heard about a lot of situations, not necessarily the Holocaust, is that like your mental energy or your mental willpower is a lot stronger um, than you actually realize. And your body like gives up a lot earlier than your mind. And so if you can stay strong in your mind, like obviously I could never imagine like the circumstances, but just in terms of general speaking. And no like, human being's willpower should have to go through that yeah, sort of circumstance, yeah. which I think is what is the most shocking part. That, as you said, it's 100% correct that your willpower has the most strength. But even when you can't even fathom how someone's willpower can go through this experience... Like, what prepares you for that? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing could have prepared anybody, let alone the world and the people who suffered from that, for that sort of experience. So, And also, that's not to say that people who passed away in the Holocaust were weak either. There were so many people who had no control over what actually happened to them. Um, and that's, yeah, like there's so much that can be, that's a whole episode in itself talking about this history, but um, it kind of is a massive kick in the butt to go, you know, put things into perspective. Um, things can be so much worse. Yes, it's okay to be upset about things that are hard and difficult in your life, but what's your purpose for pushing on? Stop focusing on the, the, the muddy situation that you're in and go, okay, well, why do I want to get myself out of it? Yeah. Rather than just focusing on what's around you. I think that's a really good point to take out of it. Yeah. And by focusing on what's on the other side of it, that's how you pull yourself out. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I think anyone should read this and they should read it twice because I only picked all that up the second time. What's it called again? <laughs> Man's Search for Meaning by Victor right. E. Frankel. Yeah. Might not have to give it a read myself. Well, I've got a copy right here. <laughs> and if anybody really loves this sound, that was a real book. You can see on the screen like the amount of sound that just produced. <laughs> I hope it's not as loud as it looks. <laughs> All right, what's your next one? Up next, um, I don't know if you've read this one, but I have. it's pretty famous. But Animal Farm by George Orwell. If you remember, I actually told you to read that book. Well, I don't remember because so, <laughs> I asked you if you read it. So yeah, so I, I put you under that. Yeah, well, I guess we can both speak about this one then. You, well, you loved it more than I did. Because I remember yeah, when, you, when I, I, I told, I read it and I enjoyed it. Like I like George Orwell. I think he writes a lot of important things. And I studied this in in school, like in year nine, and I thought that was really like a cool book. But then I remember when I told you about it, and it was the only book that you couldn't put down. And you would message me every night because we weren't living together at this stage, and go, "I just read like another eighty pages. I'm almost I think done. I this book it is in three awesome." Days, and yeah. I never read. No, like you <laughs> couldn't. You couldn't put it down. Like, yeah, well, it was also a small book, which gives you more motivation to finish it. Yeah, um, and is it large print? I can't remember. It is. Oh, yeah. Perfect. My type of book. You've kept it in nice condition, <laughs> to be honest. You normally don't look after your books. It's because I only read it in three days. You. and You didn't have an opportunity to ruin it. <laughs> um, so, about the book, um, it's pretty much a big metaphor. Um, 
it's it's all based on um, Farmer Jones's uh, farm, you could call it, um, and he has like all these different types of livestock, um, different animals, um, and I think the pigs one day took over, and they started out being quite um, diplomatic and fair, and then as the book sort of rolls on, they eventually start. Um, like forming like a revolution sort of thing and they make their own rules and every all the other animals forget what it was like to be free and to have all this nice food and to be it's in open pastures yeah. if i'm getting the facts the, right the, but the pigs taking over is later the pigs kind of start this revolution about all the animals overthrowing the humans on the farm and try and inspire all these animals That's for right. like this perfect I, I life because the and yeah. the pigs are the only people that can read, <laughs> so they write down all these commandments that they should follow and like you know we never talk to people or like I don't know whatever the rules are, um, and then eventually they come up with this scheme and they get the humans thrown off and take over. Can't but, remember it this much detail. Yeah, <laughs> but then but then the pigs don't actually deliver on the society that they promise. Yeah, and it becomes like this complete um, like dictatorship, and the animals are just tortured and treat really cruelly and yeah so it is yeah it's a big metaphor just in terms of you could say like um what would you compare it to it's like um oh, i'm trying to remember i need to check this because it's actually it fairly important Stalin. for context I yeah think it was um that it was based on you keep going i'm gonna check yeah well i'm 99 sure it was um and yeah the pig's they do some horrible stuff. They do some horrible stuff. So yeah, it is. Um, so it's published in 1945, and it's a political fable based on the events of Russia's Bolshevik Revolution and the betrayal of the cause by Joseph Stalin, which is similar because you've got that idea of we're promising this revolution to overhaul the country and make everything so much better, um, but then once they come to power, they don't deliver on any of those promises. Yeah, whole whole big corruption. Mm, it's an allegory. Yeah. So, so what did you take from it? Well, do you remember it, much it, about it had, the ending? Um, spoiler alert, potentially again. Yeah, no spoiler, spoiler alert. I do remember there was. I'll have to a, put that in the show notes. There was a bit of a twist. <laughs> a lot of spoilers. Um, oh, it's not coming to me, but I'm pretty sure the farmer, maybe the farmer, but the, the pigs somehow get out of power, and I can't remember how it happens. They don't actually get out of power at all. Don't they? No. Um, Maybe I didn't even read the book. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I'm just kind of flicking through and in capitals is one thing in here. So one of the main commandments was that all animals are equal and that was it. But then the pigs slowly start changing the commandment without telling anyone. And in the end, it's all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. But anyway, so not that this is like a reading show, but let me just like see if this refreshes your memory. I'll read you the last page. Or the last, maybe the last couple of lines. Um, So... An uproar, of, an uproar of voices was coming from the farmhouse. They rushed back and looked through the window again. Yes, a violent quarrel was in progress. There were shouting, bangings on the table, sharp, suspicious glances, furious denials. The source of the trouble appeared to be that Napoleon and Mr. Pilkington had each played an ace and spades simultaneously. Twelve voices were shouting in anger and they were all alike. No question now what had happened to the faces of the pigs. The creatures outside looked from pig to man and from man to pig and from pig to man again, but already it was impossible to say which was which. Right. 
So the pigs so don't actually ever escape. And eventually... They become friends with the farmers. Not the original farmers. I think some other dodgy people or something like that. But pretty much basically like the end of it is saying that you can't tell the difference between humans and pigs. A little offensive to pigs, but I get the metaphor. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, so there's not really a happy ending. They don't ever overthrow the pigs. The ending is that the pigs just ruin their quality of life. Yeah. And all these good characters just start to, like just die. Well, goes to show you I don't really remember much. I, I do remember the base... Well, not that but I don't not remember the much that you don't remember much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a really good book and a nice quick read. So mm. do recommend. Do you think it was a better read because it was like an allegory and it was like the metaphor of a farm and like had this been a book just about like the Bolshevik Revolution, oh, you would no never way. have really nah nah. And that's what that's it, one it's thing. How it's written. <laughs> yeah, like, that's what Orwell's really that. good at. He's yeah. really good at creating like um, like fake dystopic scenarios to talk about really important messages, um, which is good in a way that people find it easy to read. Like think about 1984, like the idea of Big Brother. Like it's so easy to read because it seems like this fictional story, but it's got so much stuff in it. Yeah. It's, it's good. I'm not a nerd at all, anyone. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> um, all right, my next one. Let's, let's continue. All right. So continuing in the theme of Caitlin likes to read really Dark. Sad, traumatic, dark novels. Um, this one was less dark, but it is another Holocaust-related text. Um, so as you can tell, like, it is my area. Bit of a theme of, going on yeah. here. Um, this one I only read last year, I believe, and you actually put me onto this, this book. I read it this year. Yeah, so year. you hadn't read the book yet, but you had seen um, the interview by the author and you said that you and your mum had watched it on like a current affair or something and you were both just left sobbing at the end of this like short interview and you were like he's got a book you should read it and I was like well if it's enough to make Liam cry I'm gonna read it was that crying? yeah like and then we talked you you were remember we were laying there and you were retelling me while you were trying to find it online and then you like started tearing up don't don't signal me to stop outing you (laughs) (laughs) um yeah he's like telling me like no no stop 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 um You didn't, you know, you didn't cry. Like, it wasn't like bad crying. It was like, it had a profound emotional impact. No, I was like, I was blowing my eyes out. <laughs> and anyway, men, it's okay to have emotions. Important part of the podcast. So anyway, moving on. Um, this book, actually probably a lot of people have heard of it uh, recently, is called The Happiest Man on Earth by Eddie Jacku. I hope I'm pronouncing his surname correctly. Um, so he too is a survivor of the Holocaust. Um, he, at the time of recording, is still alive. Um, he is, I believe, 101 years old. I saw him on the news the other day because he underwent some sort of heart replacement partial surgery thing. Um, and he's the oldest person to do so to date. Um, but yeah, so this book, again, is um, similar to my previous one in that it is sort of like a personal reflection on experiences. Um, what I liked more about this particular book, um, it was very stream of consciousness writing. So it jumped from thought to thought. It wasn't just telling a story in one linear timeline, um, which sometimes made it a little more difficult to follow. But um, it was good because he was just following what, where memories and thoughts took him. So he would tell a story and then go into all the feelings and thoughts about that and then bring it into his modern life somehow, which was good. Um, so... This one was just super, super phenomenal. Um, he talked about how his educational training, so he, uh, I believe, was training as an engineer uh, when the war broke yeah. out. So his um, 
parents helped him to change his name so that he wouldn't be recognized as Jewish um, so that he could continue to study. Um, and then he still was affected um, by the Holocaust. And he basically talks about the fact that one of the main reasons he was able to survive the experience was due to his education because a lot of the Nazis believed yeah. that, yeah, that he was not worth getting rid of because he had expertise that they could exploit basically um for different things um but he lost his entire family um to the holocaust and he was fairly young i believe in his very very early 20s um potentially late teens but he was definitely not even close to 30s um when all of this happened so um i think again it's a story of people enduring the worst and somehow somehow coming out a better person like for him he talks about how he's the happiest man on earth that's the title of this book i don't think straight away and it's not of yeah. course not and, and there would still be bad days to date where he'd remember his mother and like you know he would have had his kids and not been able to share that with his parents or his siblings like of course not always happy but the fact that he's saying that he's deeply content and happy and fulfilled like despite what he's been through pretty remarkable yeah, yeah. Like it just blows my mind like, like it's the last so... thing you'd you'd think he'd be saying like do you know what i mean and there are so many people like people and maybe times even in my life where i've gone oh like my life is so horrible this sucks like and i'm like well did it really like i get for me at that time it was the hardest thing i'd ever been through but i just look back and i like see these novels and i go like there is so much still to be happy for and yeah. grateful about so yeah, his, this book is so good. Um, a lot easier to follow, but he just talks so much about how it's so important to basically treat others as you want to be treated, to love others, um, to, you know, focus on happy moments, to enjoy memories. And he talks so much about also what got him through was friendships and other people as well, um, which I think is a super important thing to note that, you know, hardship is better endured when you share it as well. And yeah. that's not to say that if I'm sad, I'm going to make everyone else sad so I feel better. <laughs> but it's more that, you know, if you go through common things together with other people, um, yeah, it can help. But he's gone on to write this novel, um, do plenty of speeches, go to education. He's won awards, like, and sort of the latter half of his novel goes into what he's done about, um, you know, educating on the Holocaust and sharing his experience and things like that since his experience um but again a super super powerful read i think i reckon it's i haven't read the first book you recommended but i reckon it's probably the best one out of the lot and you know a bit more about this one as well just because you um like watched the interview and stuff oh he didn't say hardly anything not the book but you know about him and his story so like you don't know the experiences of him in the holocaust but you know his story a little bit like you know whereas with the other book you hadn't heard anything about it yeah, but I've also read that book as well, so I think... Oh, you did, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, when? This, I read it this year. Oh, Earlier yeah, this so year. I gave it to you. Don't worry. <laughs> In my head, I was, <laughs> I was thinking, so confused there I was still thinking you had it. Um, but yeah, and this is just like a like random thought. So in the book, it says here that like... In 1950, he was able to escape and move to his, like, sorry, no, he escaped before that, but in 1950s, he moved to Australia with his family. And ever since, he's been volunteering at the Sydney Jewish Museum. And so I'm like, I wonder if maybe that person that I saw when I was a kid could have been him. I'm sure there's plenty of Holocaust survivors. Did he release a book when you were 10? Not this book, but maybe like another book. I don't know. 
but it just makes me think yeah but it just makes me like think that like you know I don't know just wonder who it was do a bit of an investigation I know I have to have a look into it actually I really should hey because it just had such a profound impact on me that I would love to to look into it but anyway again another super super amazing read and you do, I think, as a general disclaimer for people who want to read the books that I think that I've recommended, um, take it with, like, take the recommendation with a grain of salt in that they're super impactful. Like, they, some of them go into a lot of detail, um, like, graphic detail about the experiences of people in the Holocaust. So just as a, a trigger warning, um, if, you know, just have a think before you read about whether or not you can handle reading those kinds of experiences I know I had to take a lot of breaks in between reading parts because I would read a certain section and just be really emotionally affected by what I read and I'd have to take a few days before I came back and read it again um so definitely yeah just be mindful that there is quite a bit of detail in them good advice yeah all right but they're good perfect so let's go on to our last lucky last one which is common for both of us it's a this joint recommendation both. yes and now completely off track to the other four that we've spoken about I know we've been like emotional literative amazing lessons yeah from allegory to life story oh that was nice that was nice the drum roll yeah, what investor? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, now we're reading the 2017 version. So I'm sure there's probably more updated versions. But I think 2020 that he did an updated one. If I'm so. not incorrect, I think he updates it pretty regularly, just because he's got heaps of finance stats in there. So he has to, because all the so, numbers keep changing. Yeah. If you haven't picked it up already, it's a finance or money sort of book. Yes, and it's a best-selling book. If you haven't seen it on the shelves at QBD. I'm sure most people have seen it. <laughs> yes, that and also there is a Barefoot Investors for Families, um, which I know was very popular as well. Um, but obviously, we're not a family. Yeah. No, no, we don't have kids. So we don't really need that edition yet. Yeah, so we've got a dog and he's got a dog on the front cover. So maybe maybe we should have bought the family version. Did it no, say this anything is the right about... one because he's got a dog on the front cover of this one. Yeah, I know. But like, do you reckon maybe the Barefoot Investors for Families like told you a bit about like how to stop your dog from being so expensive. Like, how to stop your dog from eating toys that you just have to keep replacing. Mm, I'm going to say it. no. Doubt I'm going to say definite no. All right. You can only so, provide so much advice, you know. Yeah, <laughs> true. And is that... That's not real, is it? There's a signature in the front cover. Did you get a signed copy? I don't think so. No, nah, it looks it's, like Dead Set Permanent Marker. Anyway, look, if anyone wants to buy a signed copy of the Barefoot Investor... Sell it for 10 grand. It is! Look, you can see the permanent marker at the back. It's an original signed copy of the book. I don't even remember who I got it from. It's it's signed. Yeah, right. Anyway. No one knows where we live, (laughs) but it is being listed starting at $1.5 million. (laughs) The original copy. Yes. No. Anyway. um, All right. So when did you read this book? When did I read it? I think I read it. Everyone can probably hear me flicking pages because I keep flicking through them all. I'm going to stop. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I've, I've read like little bits and pieces of it over the last couple of years, like all at different points, which probably isn't the best way to go about it. Um, but no, it's meant to be like a bit holistic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's how I've done it. And Scott that's... Pape probably disagrees with me. But anyway, we actually didn't even mention his name. We Barefoot just... Investor by Scott Pape, in case you're looking for the book. There we go, the man himself. Yeah. So, yeah, I've read different parts at different points over the years. And 
it's I suppose it doesn't have to be read like chronologically because it's different chapters about it can be it a can, little bit of a glossary where you can just flick to a section that you're interested in. I think that's in. how I was using it. So Yeah. Um yeah, it it goes through um you know I'd say you'd say financial slash money advice um for young people. Um, not super young, but between twenty. And I think it's applicable to anyone, to be honest. I think it's got a because a big it's got a focus on. But young. no, but no, no, it doesn't. Because don't you remember throughout the book he talks about heaps like see on this page starting over in your fifties. Yeah. Like he has a big focus on the fact that like it's not too late to start sorting out your finances. Yeah. It's, it's good to get started early, but it's never too late. Is also his message. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Fair point. I, I think, anyway. I, I, I literally, the first I page I opened to was starting I over in your 50s, saying. and I was like, that's not <laughs> that's aimed good. at 20-year-olds. But I think, seeing as we are a podcast targeted at 20 to 30-year-olds, like, you know, in your 20s, um, if, like, why start over in your 50s when you can start now? Exactly. Life after that. That was good. Um, no, like, obviously, sometimes you need to start over. You don't have a choice. Something happens. You might get divorced. You might have an illness. Who knows? But... If you can expose yourself to some good habits now, good to start. We've exactly. said that before on the podcast too, in our Money in Your 20s episode as well. Yeah, I think his main point is st- starting good habits. So whether that's, you know, starting some like an emergency saving or getting in control of debt or, you know, your finances. Like, I think it's just about building habits is one of the key points um, and just keeping your options open. Um, so he's got like three main parts to the book. Um and the first part, he sort of plant gives gives the um, what's the word analogy of like a tree growing. Um, so he starts. He talks about your finances holistically as a as a tree. Yeah. From so he starts to yeah. With part one, like planting. Part two, growing, and then part three, harvesting. So that's sort of how he you know refers to throughout the book, and you get different parts of the book. So part one, um, you'll start with, you know. What is your finances? Um, Scheduling regular talks to sit down and chat about money. Like, if you're not good at doing it, but saying, all right, hey, you know, if you're in a couple like us, between us, we go, all right, um, on this date of each month or whatever, should we sit down and have a chat about our finances? You know, or like setting that sort of date for yourself. Yeah. So I think it's just about being accountable. And budgeting. And we've spoken about in the podcast before, but he is where I got the bucketing. (laughs) And he also... um, Talked about ING, which is one of my favorite banks. Not a sponsored episode. <laughs> um, yeah, and then talking about debts, like how to get rid of your debts, and then growing is about how to buy your home. So that's applied to people who already have a home, like how to then pay it off. But I think it's still a good idea to have for if you get into the market, or a good way to treat your jet, like your debts in general. Yeah, I think. Fair. Were there any other good parts in this? Well, the whole thing was good, but yeah, the whole thing is good. Do recommend. Yeah. Um, there's a bit more towards the end about like getting your retirement number like how much you want to retire and stuff still important to get to at some point um, or like you know to start saving ahead of time but I'm not super stressed about that right now all, the, still all the fun stuff yeah it, it does the, the topics do sound a bit dry um, but they it, do in the book he like, makes it, them funny exactly yeah, yeah. I, that's not exactly what I was going to say like and it's super relaxed. Like it's not heaps, like not heaps of um, technical money language jargon. Yeah, like no, he doesn't no use jargon. any jargon, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, he just uses everything in really simple, plain language. He acknowledges the fact that, like, look, you know, things are hard. It's not perfect, but here we go. 
you know. Um, like, yeah, I'm trying to think of like some good examples of funny even stuff that he says, but it is. It's just well, super... I think his house burnt down. He noted at the start. He was affected, all. yeah, in, um, I think they were, were they Victorian bushfires, yeah, I think it was. And he lost his home. Um, yeah. And they had to start again, basically, because they lost their family home. Um, yeah. And so he kind of talks about these are all of his ideas because he used to be a column writer, write finance advice. And then he went, well, write and just write a book on it. And he too knows what it's like to have to start again or like to go through some difficulty. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So it is a good one to read. And that was good because that kind of kicked started our journey into looking into and understanding our finances a bit better, which was has been awesome for us. Yeah. Like since reading this book, we've saved for exchange and then instead of going on exchange, bought a house, got our finances sorted. So like not to say that this did everything. We obviously had to do a lot of hard work, a lot of researching, planning, saving, but it helped to kind of get us into a mindset about how to be smart with money. And it's paid off like it has. So yeah. thanks got paid. <laughs> Would have been nicer if you just bought my house for me, but look, we'll compromise at me paying for it myself. <laughs> Don't know if that's much of a compromise. Yeah, well, I'm paying half for it. You're paying the other half. That's a compromise. Yeah. No, but I think the common thread throughout all of the books we've mentioned is that there's some sort of personal story or anecdote in all of it um, to some extent, um, whether it's through an allegory or, or genuine recount of someone's experience. So I think it's pretty clear that personal experiences are what get people. It's how, it's how you really... Relate. It's how, it's how we relate to each other exactly, as people, yeah. yeah, in telling stories and stuff like that. Because um, you want... Like, I'm not an author, but I could assume you want your audience to relate to what you're saying. Do you know what I mean? Like, Well, yeah, if you've got a message to get across. Otherwise, who, who's going to want to read your book? That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, like, for things you can take away, I think I know reading can sometimes be really laborious and stuff, especially if you, you know, when you went to school and reading was really pushed on you and a lot of people move away from books because of that. Um Maybe. Yeah, but it can be awesome to just slowly get back into it. Like I've started a thing with myself this year, well, for the rest of this year, um, where I'm keeping a list in Google Drive of all the books I've read throughout the year. So I want to try and read like an average of like one a month between now and the end of the year because I know I can't sit down and read as much as I used to. I used to go through one book a week when I was at school because I was just an avid reader. Crazy. But now I Crazy can't. So, and just, just doing it for enjoyment. And if, if it feels like a chore, then don't do it because you're never going to enjoy it. So read for so long as you're enjoying it. And then if you start to get like a bit exhausted and you've had enough, put it down for a few weeks. And then when you go, oh, I'd like to read that again, pick it back up. What if you feel like you never enjoy it? Then... Um, it's probably not for you. I feel really <laughs> sad for you. But then I would suggest audiobooks. Or maybe you just haven't found the right book and you need to look at the books I've just recommended. Yeah, 100%. You might not have found the right book. Or if genuinely reading is something that you really struggle doing because you feel tired when you read or you don't enjoy it, then like just as much as you love listening to this podcast, pop That's your headphones right. in and listen to an audiobook. Because audiobooks... Couldn't can, agree more. Oh, yeah. Don't ever compromise our podcast time for an <laughs> audiobook. However... Yeah, of course not. Of course not. Definitely, definitely try an audiobook. Yeah. And I would never say that a movie is a replacement for a novel as an alternative. I've, I've basically almost never seen a movie to date that I think does a novel justice. Yeah. Alright. Still like movies, but... Fair point. Yeah. So, so anyway, pick up a book. Get have reading. a read. Yeah, you can have a look at the ones we've recommended. We will put the names of the books in the show notes um, so that you can go find them if you're interested. Um, but yeah, that's about sponsor up for this week. 
sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys, for listening and hope you enjoyed it. And yeah. we'll... make sure to, um, you know, follow the podcast, subscribe, rate, like. review. Yeah, so that you can keep up for episodes to come. But apart from that, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Mm-hmm.